We are going to continue to dig into the blessing. And this is, we're going to be looking at the second line in the blessing. Ya'er Adonai panabalecha vi chunecha. And so, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, I want to deal with this front part here, the Lord make his face shine upon you. So, I want to deal with this first part here, Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the first thing I want to do is I want to ask the question, what does it mean? I mean, you think about it. So, we pray this, the Birkat Kohanim, every week you hear it. Some of you may pray it over your children every night. What does it mean? I mean, to have his face to shine down upon us. I mean, I, I want the biblical understanding for that. What, I want to know the impact that is supposed to happen. In other words, we should have an anticipation. We should have an expectation. If, if in fact, this has meaning to it at all. And I, as you're going to see today, you're going to see that it does have uh, meaning, uh, very deep meaning. There are characteristics with this concept that we're going to see. We're going to be zooming around Scripture quite a bit and extrapolating all these characteristics that are associated with God's face shining down upon us. And these things are powerful. Well, I want to begin by taking you back to those ancient documents, back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you're not, uh, just know it's probably arguably the greatest archaeological discovery of all time, yielding the most manuscripts that archaeologists could never fathom that they would hit such a treasure trove as they did in the mid-1940s. It was incredible. Almost a thousand manuscripts were found over a period of, of, of a few years. I, I think maybe even as many as 10. But point being is, is this is unprecedented. This discovery, and I will tell you this, the Dead Sea Scrolls are supernatural. It isn't an accident or a coincidence that these scrolls were discovered right before Israel becomes a nation. So here you have these Jewish, all these antiquity Jewish religious texts that are discovered blowing the minds of archaeologists just fawning over these things in awe, being able to take these manuscripts that date back to the time of Yeshua and to compare them with what we have today, the Masoretical textual tradition. I mean, it's a scholar's dream come true, quite literally. Well, within this find, there was one particular text that is of great importance for us today, and that's known as well, this is the catalog uh, number, but 4Q37, better known as Discourse on the Exodus. And here's the beauty of this thing. We're going to get to go back in time, and we're going to get to see how these God-fearing Jewish people understood this concept of God's face shining down upon us. Check this out. This is what we read. And he made him like a god over the powerful ones. Now, just so that we understand, this is talking about Moses. God making, or yeah, God making Moses like God to Pharaoh. So you can go and reference that in Exodus 7. And, and Aaron would be his prophet. And so this is what it's talking about. Powerful ones being Egyptians. And a cause of reeling for Pharaoh melted and their hearts trembled and their entrails dissolved. But... He had pity with Israel. So the very first thing it's recounting here is it's talking about the fact that God showed mercy to Israel. God favors Israel. But the Egyptians, you, well, you know the story. 
God went after them. They were his enemies. But then we get to the good part here. And when he let his face shine for them for healing, they strengthened their hearts again. Isn't that amazing? So, you know, historically, when the Jewish people are thinking, what does it mean for God to cause his face to shine down upon us? The expectation is healing. It is healing. And this is what we actually see in the Torah. We look at this. We read, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you, because his face is shining down upon them. This is the effect that this has. And this is why he wants to be identified. Man, it's touchy today. He wants to be identified as the Lord who heals you. This is, this is God. He wants you to understand this is who I am. I heal. And so this concept of when we, when we read about this in the Birkat Kohanim, that his face is going to shine down upon us. We pray this over our children. You're standing there to receive this. This is what you need to be mindful of, that he heals. This is his heartbeat. He wants to heal you. Now, continuing on, going to Isaiah 53, I want to answer the question of how does this happen? Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I show you this. I keep going down this rabbit trail. I'm connecting dots here for you because what you need to understand, when we read about God's face shining down upon us, and as I mentioned to you before, every step of the way, this thing is all about Yeshua. There's no possible way you can understand the Birkat Kohanim apart from him. He's in every facet. It doesn't matter what angle you come at this from. You're going to find him. And now we know what it means that to make his face shine down upon us is a direct reference to healing. Well, how does that happen? It's only through one. It's through Yeshua. It's by his stripes we are healed. And so let me take you to the Gospels. I want to give you an incredible example of God making his face to shine down upon his people and what it looks like. This is what we read in Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Yeshua went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, ah, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And you guys know, most of you have read the gospels you go through. What do you read about? Everywhere Yeshua is going, he's healing. Supernaturally. And actually, as you go to chapter 12, it says he healed them all. This is what he did. Understand, God's face was shining down upon his people. Yeshua is the embodiment of that shine, quite literally. And so, as you hear the Birkat Kohanim, as you hear it every Shabbat, as you pray it over your children, the picture that you need to have in your mind that is getting painted, the expectation, the anticipation, when you're saying, oh God, cause your face to shine upon us, this is it. This is the expectation. We have seen this. Some of you have actually experienced this. I can testify, I literally have. I've experienced what it means to be healed. I experienced to know what it means to have God shine his face upon me. Breathtaking experience. This is his heart. This is the heart of the Lord. 
And so every week we, we go through this and we say this, open up to the heart of the Lord. You just have to believe it. Going to John 14, verse 9, Yeshua said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has been or who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You see how we're connecting dots here? The whole concept that we know about God's face shining upon us, well, we know that that is a direct reference to healing. And we know the only way we're healed is through Yeshua. And then when Yeshua comes, God's face is shining down through him. He literally says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Mind-blowing. You've seen God. They're literally looking. And is this not blow your mind in the sense of Jacob wrestled with Yeshua he has this experience. He walks away, limps away, and he literally says, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. But he didn't walk away empty because he saw God face to face. His face shone upon him. He got blessing. He would not let him go without the blessing. Well, understand something. Back in Yeshua's day, as he's going out in the ministry, the descendants of Jacob got to experience what he experienced. They got to see God face to face. And they were healed. The dead were raised. The lepers were cleansed. The deaf heard. The blind saw. Absolutely amazing. And again, it doesn't matter what angle we're coming at. This is all about him. Yeshua is glorified in this Birkat Kohanim. And there is no possible way that this Birkat Kohanim, this blessing is going to come to life for you on any level until you get right with him, until you're in, in relationship with Yeshua, until you call upon his name. That's the key that unlocks this thing, really. Now, let me further press uh, home the point here. So we look at this. It says, Ye'er Adonai Panavalecha. Now, understand, this first word in the Hebrew, Ye'er, it's the verb form of or, the Hebrew word or. And here it's translated as shine, but it actually literally means light. That's what it means. And so the way you need to think about this, because this is going to help you in regard to connecting more dots, is God's face is lighting upon you. It emanates light. You're receiving what you're receiving is the light. Now you think about this, what did Yeshua say when he came? I am the light of the world. He is the light of the Father's face. That is incredible. So again, this is all about him. Now going to John chapter 1, verse 3, in his prologue, he says, All things were made through him, meaning Yeshua, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was what? Oh, it was the light of men. Now you got to appreciate what John's doing here. He is actually paralleling. Genesis 1, this is what he's doing. I mean, it's just, it, it's, he's unlocking it, trying to show you guys, Yeshua is in the beginning. So when you read those first words in Genesis, Bereshit bara Elohim, John is telling you, go back. When it says, in the beginning, God created, that Elohim, that was the Father creating all things through his Son. Yeshua was there. All things are created through him. He's bringing him into focus. He is glorifying him. He's showing this great revelation. And then what is the first thing that we know that God did? 
let there be light. That's mind-blowing because you think about the world had light. There was no sun, moon, and stars. Not until the fourth day. Grass was growing. How did that happen? Because Yeshua is the light. Go to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and you see that the new Jerusalem has no need of sun or moon. Why? Because the lamb is its light. We have the first book of the Bible testifying of Yeshua, that he is the light. You have the last book doing the exact same thing. Again, no, that's not a coincidence. And it goes on in verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is important, because this is going to reveal to us another aspect so that you understand, what does it mean to have God's face shine upon me? Now, the first thing I want to mention here is when it says, the light shines in the darkness, darkness did not comprehend it. You go to the Greek, a better translation is, is it can't overcome it. It cannot prevail. The darkness does not have the power to prevail over the light. And that is Yeshua. He can't be defeated. He's that powerful. And so you you look at this, and here you have God's face lighting up the world through his son, who is literally the light. And nothing can conquer him. And this is what we're supposed to be receiving. So in other words, when I look at this, when God's light shines upon me, when the light of Yeshua comes upon me, guess what? The devil cannot prevail over me. Demonic hosts of wickedness cannot prevail over me. That's important to me. That's power. That's deliverance. That's victory. Going to Exodus 14, playing off of this, the angel of God, it's a Christophany, it's Yeshua, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And a pillar of cloud went before them and stood Behind them, see, this is the situation. Israel's leaving Egypt, and I mentioned this in the last message. They're, they're leaving out Egypt, and they're coming to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are now in hot pursuit of them. And so while Yeshua is leading them out, he has to come back around them to put himself in between the Egyptians and Israel. And then we read this. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one. Oh, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. Isn't that incredible? This is, this is huge for me in understanding what does it mean to have God's face shine upon me and upon Israel as this people. He went to defend them from their adversaries. In other words, I think of Psalm, what is it, 62. He is my defense He's my defense. I will not be moved. I cannot be moved. I think about that. You become invincible if God's face is shining down upon you. So there's characteristics here that you should really, really want to desire. There are characteristics here that you need to believe or none of this is going to happen for you. You know, I think of Yeshua in Matthew 9. Two blind men come to him, you know, we want to be healed. We want to see. And Yeshua doesn't heal them at first. He first asks and says, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yes, Lord. And then he says, according to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith, let it be to you. What I'm telling you right now, myself at the front of the line, when we hear 
the Birkat Kohanim being spoken, these supernatural words, it will be to you whatever you believe in the context of if you don't really believe the words, if you don't think it's not gonna happen to me, it'll happen to somebody else, God will bless somebody else. He'll keep somebody else. He'll make his face to shine on somebody else, but he's not going to do it to me. All it's going to be is words of emptiness, zero power. This is on us. This is why faith is so important when we hear these words, to take these words serious. Every aspect of the Birkat Kohanim is supernatural. The stuff that's being prayed over us, the stuff that's been commanded to be prayed over us and to be spoken it's not normal. Nothing, nothing is normal about it. It has to be in the supernatural realm. These are things that are completely from heaven itself, combating the flesh, combating the works of the flesh. The more we get into this, the more you'll see that. I mean, we're dealing with supernatural stuff. Faith is the only way this is going to happen. You have to unlock it. You have to believe his word. That being said, I want to give you another dimension here and take you to the book of Exodus in chapter 33. One of my favorite passages, uh, specifically in regard to the Birkat Kohanim. Then Moshe said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now understand something. Moses understands quite well that he's been sent on a mission to bring up the children of Israel up to the land. Bring them up to the promised land. Bring them to that place. He gets the mission. His concern comes in with this. You have not told me whom you're going to send with me. What does that tell you about Moses? That actually tells you that he knows, I can't do this. This isn't the Moses show. I'm not going to be able to do this on my wisdom and in my power. Lord, you have not shown how you're going to accomplish your way. Whom are you going to send with me? And it is, you know, he already has Aaron. He's, that's not going to help him. He knows he cannot do this. This is very significant as we continue. Now he goes on. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. So get this. He first asked, Lord, this is his concern, You have not shown who you're going to send with me. The very next thing he asked for, show me now your way. There's a passage in John chapter 5, I think verse 46. And there Yeshua says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Well, now you're about to see exactly, tangibly, what Yeshua meant by that. This is an example Moses writing about Yeshua, talking about Yeshua. He doesn't know who the Lord's going to send with him. He needs someone. He doesn't have the power. The first thing Moses asked for, show me your way. And what does Yeshua say in John chapter 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is all about him. He is the way. He's the focus. And now, get this. Show me your way. What? that I may know you. Now, you got to stop because you go to Matthew 11 and, and what Yeshua says there is he says, nobody knows the son except the father. And nobody knows the father except the son and to whom the son wills to reveal him. 
And what Yeshua just said is, you cannot know the Father apart from me. You will never know him. I am the one that reveals him. Amazing. You got Moses asking, show me the way I need to know so that I may know you. He wants to know God intimately. That happens through the Lord Yeshua. You cannot make this stuff up. And then goes on, and that I might find grace in your sight. Isn't that interesting? He's asking for the grace in his sight in conjunction with knowing this way so that he can know God. Not a coincidence. But then we get to our point. And this is it, verse 14. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, so hold on. Moses asked, who are you gonna send with me? This is my concern so that I can actually do this. And the Lord responds, my presence, my presence will go with you. Isn't this interesting? You go to the Hebrew and what is it? It's panim. What is panim? Face. My face will go with you quite literally. I mean, this is incredible. And this is, this whole thing is about Yeshua. So again, when you think about the face is going to shine upon you, that God's face is going to shine upon you. It's all about the sun. It's all about the power of the sun. Now, Moses is going to respond to the Lord. Verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Let that sink in because this is massive. If your face doesn't go with us. Don't bring us up in here. First things first, this tells me a little bit about what it means for God's face to shine upon us. What does that mean? It's a reference to his presence. We can say, yes, it is a direct reference to healing. We can say, yes, it's a direct reference to uh, having him as our defense, having victory. And we can say it's about his presence coming upon us. That's what it's about which makes the other things make sense. It would make sense that you would be healed. It would make sense that you would be given victory, that you would prevail over your enemies, that you'd be untouchable because his presence has come upon you. And think about, we're, we're being commanded to pray this. We're being commanded to receive this. It's the heart of the Father. He wants to be with us. And one of the things that blows me out of the water is the context that, that Moses says these words. When he says this, where are they? They're in a living hell. They're in a great, what is Deuteronomy calls a great and terrible wilderness where there is no food, there is no water, there are no homes, there is nothing. It is totally barren. And Moses comes back and says, if your presence does not go to this land of milk and honey where there are vineyards, where there are olive trees, where there are homes, there are wells dug, it drinks from the rain of heaven. It's a land of milk and honey. I mean, that's it. And, and Moses said, I'm not going there if you will not come with us. Now, I think about that, that he was resolved in his heart. All that matters to you. I will stay in this forsaken wilderness that is totally barren if that's where your presence is. Now, we can learn something from that. We can learn a lot from that, can we not? How many, how many times do we run and go to the places that we see as milk and honey 
where we follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We chase after the things of the world. We're chasing after the things that the world values. Do you understand something that when you do that, he's not coming with you. He's not coming with you. You are going away from his presence. His presence is not there. You want to hold bitterness in your heart? You want to be unforgiving against your brother? I'm telling you right now, you will go that alone. The Lord will not be with you. His presence does not know that place. You want to walk out on your marriage? You're tired of it for unbiblical reasons. There's a lot of people, because I've had these discussions, there's a lot of people that justify their means. They think God's going with them. He's not going with you. It's not going to happen. That's the lie. Can't happen. You want to murmur and complain? I mean, I think of Israel. They got caught up in complaining against God. Don't think for one second he's going to come with you to that land. I mean, just think about Israel going back to Numbers 13 and chapter 14, and, and uh, they got the bad report, and they were commanded, go up, take the land, but they don't, don't, they don't take the land. So the Lord rebukes them, and they felt it, and they're like, well, okay, now we'll go up. Moses comes back and says, don't do it. He's not with you. They didn't listen. They went up to try to take the land. Guess what happened? They were defeated. They got routed. I mean, these are aspects that you need to really let sink in in the, sake of, in the sense of where you're going in life, the things you're running to. You're, you're running after the world's success. You want to be like the world. I'm telling you right now, the Lord's not coming with you. You're on your own. You want to know where the Lord is? He's in your prayer closet. You want to know where the Lord is? He's in the time that you devote to studying his word. You want to know where the Lord is? It's, it's when your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing as you're supporting the widow and the orphan. You want to know where the Lord is? It's, it's in loving your neighbor as yourself. You want to know where the Lord is? It's in forgiving your brother his trespasses against you. Go to these places. That's where the presence of the Lord is. That's where you stay. And all the places he has carved out in the commandments, the moment you jump ship off of that, you're on your own. And it's going to be open season on you. And the devil will have his way. Cannot, you cannot go down that path. Now, Moses, he ends his thought with the following. Verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us. Now, this is amazing because grace, when you see, receive the grace of God, that is the evidence, that's the fruit that God's face has shined down upon you. That is the fruit that his presence is with you. Absolutely amazing. Psalm 67, verse one. To the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. This is the psalmist's mini, miniaturized or condensed version of the Birkat the priestly blessing. So he says, cause his face to shine upon us. Listen to what he connects to this now. This is awesome. That your way may be known on the earth, oh, and your Yeshua, your salvation among the nations. Again, I tell you, this is mind-blowing. We just learned something about the Birkat Kohanim. 
about this passage that said, God make his face to shine upon you. The effects of that actually happening, this is why the psalmist is praying this, is like, cause your face to shine upon your people so that your way, which is Yeshua, may be known on the earth, your salvation, Yeshua, among the nations. Now, this is incredible to me because the gospel is embedded within the Birkat Kohanim. The gospel of Yeshua. How can we be a light to the world unless we have his face shining down upon us, unless Yeshua is living within us? We cannot be that light. You can't give what you don't have. This is my concept with the gospel. You can't go out and give Yeshua when you don't have him. You can only give what you have. I think of Peter going up to the temple, the, the, the lame man asked for money. He's asking for silver and gold. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give to you. He had Yeshua, and that man received the power of Yeshua, his God's face shone upon that lame man. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, for me, this, this whole concept of God shining his face down upon you, man, is this deep. It's so deep. It has healing. It has uh, prevailing and victory. It has his presence. It has the gospel. And, and this is what we should be understanding. This is what we should be drawing from it. Yes, it will impact us immediately, us, but by God doing that, it will impact others because they'll know the light. They will see the light of Yeshua. I want to peel back another layer here. I want to take you to Daniel chapter 9. And in that, we're going to find, well, the context here is this. Babylon has come in destroyed, laid waste. They, they, had, they had been warring against Judah for about 10 years. They came to a crescendo at 586 BC. And they tore down the temple. They burned it to the ground. It was nothing but an ash heap of ruin. Total desolation. The Jews are carried into captivity into Babylon. And then we come to Daniel chapter 9. The Holy Spirit is awakening his understanding. And he recognizes, he understands the prophecy of Jeremiah. And he hits the deck. Daniel starts to confess his sin, the sins of his fathers. He is praying and he is fasting. An incredible template for us today, especially where we're at in this country right now. We need to follow Daniel's lead. At the end of his prayer, Daniel says something that is quite special in regard to our topic. He says this, now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. What is Daniel asking for? What does he understand in regard to causing your face to shine? How does he see this? He sees it as restoration, revival, bringing the dead to life. The temple is the very symbol, if you will, of God's relationship with his people. Have them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell within them. God's heart is he wants to dwell with his people. And when that temple is functioning, the priests are doing their sacrifices the people are coming up to pray and to offer their tithes. 
and it's functioning. It signifies the relationship between God and them is looking good. But when you have a temple that is laid waste to, that's sitting in a heap of ruins, that tells you what? The relationship is broken. That relationship is broken. And Daniel sees it, and what he wants is he wants life from the dead. He wants revival. So again, cause your face to shine upon us. I mean, this is building upon this whole gospel notion because today we're considered the temple of the living God. Are we not? And one thing I can tell you, there are a lot of believers today that look like the temple did in 586 BC. They are laying desolate. They are broken. They are not in relationship with the Lord. Their sins are evident. Oppression. They're wallowing in fear. They're suffering in addiction to all sorts of things. They need revival. They need God to shine his face down upon them. But that will never happen unless you follow Daniel's lead, unless you follow the lead of 2 Chronicles 7.14. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear in heaven. I will forgive their sins. And what does he say? I will heal their land. His face is going to shine upon them. Psalm 80 Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. The psalmist is using it in the exact context that Daniel is using it. It's revival. It's restoration. What an awesome thing to be praying over the people every single week. Praying over your children every day. We want to be living as living stones, not stones that are broken and burnt Now, that being said, moving on, we have Ye'er Adonai Panavalecha. We covered that. Now we're going to come to this last part. V'chunecha. And be gracious to you. Gracious to you. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to get this out of the way. What is grace? Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's literally Yeshua. So again, here we are looking at the situation of the Birkat Kohanim. You can't go an inch without coming across. Here's Yeshua again. He is right here. He is literally the grace of God. The simplest definition of it. When you think about Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith you have been saved. Then the most accurate way to understand it is by Yeshua through faith you have been saved. That's the truth. Peter says the same thing. Worth quoting, 1 Peter 1.10, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. What is he talking about? He's talking about Yeshua, prophesying of the grace that would come to them. Now, that being said, let me ask the question, what does that mean? Because I can talk about easy that, oh yeah, Yeshua is Jesus, he's grace, and grace is Jesus. It's very simple. Well, hold on. What does that mean to you? How has this impact your life? What does it even matter? Well, it matters when you read Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is death. Now, all of a sudden, it takes on a whole new meaning. Let me go to Romans 3.19, 
we read this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Oh, and all the world may become guilty before God. See, you got to understand, this is the problem. The problem is, is every single one of us have been condemned by the law. We're all guilty before the Lord. Paul talks about earlier on in Romans that there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who does good. He's quoting basically Psalm 14. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and does not sin. Sin in and of itself is not just the problem. It's the fact that the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Do you understand how weighty and heavy the holy law of God is? And that for the, just, uh, just to break that in any capacity, we're told scripturally, the wages of sin, you are punished with death. And uh, let me be clear, it's not simply a physical death that we're talking about. It's talking about an eternal death. Where I see this generation and where I see believers, and I can say of my own self in, in, in past times, where we become derailed and we start to become wishy-washy and we start to become, as they say, lukewarm, do you know when that happens? It happens when you start, stop appreciating or understanding the weight of God's judgment. It's somehow the enemy gets in there with all his idols and entices you he gets you to forget about God's judgment and now all of a sudden I have no clarity and I have zero understanding of grace but all the while I'm running around thinking I'm always, no matter where I go, the presence of the Lord is going to be with me. The end of the rainbow is over here. The end of the rainbow is over. Wherever I'm going to go, I'm under grace. It's all good. With no consideration for the judgment of God. I'm going to tell you this. You cannot know the grace of God. You cannot appreciate God's grace until you felt the weight of his judgment. You can't. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom or maybe even online and you see a verdict rendered and it was harsh, whether we're talking three-year sentence or five, 10, 15, life without parole, maybe the death sentence, you ever see these people, how they respond? They've never felt so scared. They've never felt such pain and sorrow and despair in their entire life. They didn't know it was possible to have these kind of emotions. Why? Because they were confronted with the law. They had broken the law, and now the law has come down on them, and they absolutely fall apart. Let me, let me give you some perspective on this, just a couple seconds. 027 that the defendant shall serve a term of three years, years, which is the minimum, on count one of that. As to count two in that case, felonious assault, a felony of the second degree, it is ordered that the defendant shall serve a term of two years in prison on that count. As to count three of that case, the robbery, which is also a felony of the second degree, the court uh, orders that the defendant shall serve a term of two years on that count. <laughs> As well. Burn pattern as he described it. It could have been alcohol, it could have been something else that gets consumed by the fire. But he's significant burn pattern as well. Therefore, I am not a kind of alcohol that is all yet charged by the fire. Individually, he's significant burn pattern. I found over the total general session for the way charged. 
literally show you hundreds upon hundreds of these. Is that in the moment, they're so terrified, they're so in agony over the despair, they can't believe that it's actually happening, that they're now experiencing the law in its full weight and measure. Family members bawling. People I've seen, people begging for their lives, begging juries, begging judges for their very lives. Please, please, no. No, I'll be a good person. Literally trying to tell, I I won't do this again. Because in that moment, they understood what punishment was and what they were being sentenced to. And I'm gonna tell you, you cannot, you do not have clarity on grace until you understand what is coming and what you've done. You know, to have that perspective of sin that every single one of us deserves to be incarcerated for life, eternally. Every single one of us. For me, you know, we could spend the next two months talking about grace and on so many different levels and how it's being abused, we can do that. For me today, in regard to the blessing, the only thing I care about right now is that you feel the weight of what you've done and that you understand that the judgment is coming. It is sure It is tried, it is true, it is going to happen. Nobody is going to save you from the judgment that is coming, except if you give your life to Yeshua. That judgment is coming, it's going to happen. And there's nothing anyone else can do. The devil can't do anything about it. All his demonic host of hell cannot do anything about it. The entire mankind, humanity can't do anything about it. Isn't it fascinating how mankind tries through science? They've been doing this for years. I've been getting these articles for 10 years and how they're looking for the key to eternal life. They are. They're doing the same thing that the men who built the Tower of Babel are doing. No, we're not going to be judged again. We're not going to allow the Lord to come in at this. You can't possibly appreciate the sacrifice of Yeshua and walk in that grace with appreciation without feeling the weight of the law. I want to share one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon. I do not believe that any man can preach the gospel who does not preach the law. The law is the needle and you cannot draw the silken thread of the gospel through a man's heart unless you first send the needle of the law to make a way for it. Understand something, go and read Acts 24 and read what Paul did as he has this conversation with Felix, the governor. When Paul brought the gospel, he rolled heavy. Felix sent him away. He was terrified. You know why? Paul was talking about the judgment. He was talking about the hellish judgment that it's on his way and Felix couldn't handle it. He had to leave, send Paul away. That's too much. I'm telling you, that's the kind of gospel that will make you appreciate the truth of who Yeshua is, what he has done for you, the power of his grace when all men are condemned to death and yet he comes on the scene and truly as a savior to save us from that. But we don't talk about sin anymore. We have no concept of judgment. Therefore, we have no concept of grace, which is why the waters get murky in that area. Continuing on, listen to what Spurgeon says. If men do not understand the law, they will not feel that they are sinners. Now, where do we get conviction from? Paul says in, in Romans 7, I would not have known sin except through the law. 
I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shall not covet. The law comes in and tells you, you're breach. You're in breach. I mean, it's crying out, turn back. And if they are not consciously sinners, they will never value the sin offering. There is no healing a man till the law has wounded him, no making him alive till the law has slain him. And that's the reality. This is what we need. And we understand that when we, when we come to that point where we feel the weight of what we've done, then we can receive the weight of what Yeshua has done. Isaiah will help you. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. Just like how many times I've seen people in a courtroom faint. I've seen women faint. As soon as the verdict's read, they drop out of the chair. They can't handle it. They're terrified. This is coming on a mass scale. And they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. This is coming. And, and I've said this before, but we've never experienced fear in this lifetime or in any generation. No man, no woman has experienced the fear that they're going to experience at the coming of the wrath of the Lamb. Where in Revelation 6, they're crying out, mountains and rocks fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the lamb. Hide us. They want it to go away. I mean, there's so many times, you know, there's so many situations I could give you in a courtroom where all they want these things to do, everything, the sentence that was just read, that they're going to be incarcerated, they just want it to go away. They're hanging for any shred of hope possible. You know, and, and I, I, think, I think of Matthew 7, as you have Christians who are going to be standing there saying, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons. I prophesied in your name. I did many wonders in your name. And he's going to say, I, I don't know you. The judge is going to say, I don't know you. He's going to hit the, the gavel down hard and say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The angels are going to come. The bailiffs are going to come. You think of these, these sheriffs that sit in the courtroom. They come and they grab the prisoners. They take them out. It's amazing because that's what's going to happen at the end. The angels are going to come and take them away, and they're going to go away screaming and wailing, wanting mercy, wanting that grace, something they've rejected. I want to close with this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Messiah, Yeshua, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice it doesn't say who, who walk according to the dictates of their own heart, who shoved off the commandments of God, who didn't take them seriously, who really did not forsake all that they had to be his disciple. No, 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 no. This says they don't walk according to the flesh. They're in the spirit. They're where the presence of God is. They go to the places where the presence is. For the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has made me free from the law of sin and death. And you just go home, watch some verdicts in a courtroom and all these sentencing and let that hit hard. And then you can hit the deck and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. I'm not worthy of this grace, this mercy that you would pay, you'd pay this penalty, that you would step in and pardon me. But to do that, you would have to give your own life. That's grace. 
That's this whole concept of how the Father has been gracious to us. It's by giving his son something that we need to appreciate. And if we don't, we are failing. The devil will have his way with you.